0: Rise and shine, and go get the car right now. Come on, Bob. Come on, Bob. 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 Oh. And you may remember that from uh, this summer. Uh, we were talking through, speaking through the book of Revelation and uh, saw the sleeping church and it's interesting that kind of ties in with how we're tracking this morning as we continue on with our series, Seeking Hope for the Future King. And uh, this week we take a pause in this series and then we'll be getting into Christmas. You should have had an invite card in your program. Uh, nice little graphic on the front tells what's going on here for Christmas season so take a note of that. Please use those to invite uh, friends and family as we walk through uh, this Christmas season, talking about the coat, the ghosts, not the coats, the ghosts of Christmas past. There's probably some coats of Christmas past too, but anyway. So this morning we are talking about this idea of sleeping in, and the concept of sleeping in, just the idea of being able to. Not have anything going first thing in the morning is a beautiful thing. And sometimes you and I, when that alarm goes off, feel like these guys. No, feel like these guys. Excuse me. We'll see if we can switch gears here a second. There we go. Morning. So what do you think, then? Get an early start in that alfalfa in the back 40? What's the hurry? Hit the snooze. I love that. Why do I love that? That's just not nice, but I just love that. Hit the snooze that way. But uh, Some of you who have chickens nearby would like to hit the snooze that way, too. A little rooster action going on. But anyway, so this idea of sleeping in, about having nowhere to go, just kind of... Just chilling in the morning. Uh, a lot of us, when we have those opportunities, I don't know about you, if I sleep an extra half an hour, that's amazing. even if I could sleep hours, just doesn't happen. How many of you are able to sleep forever? There's a few of you. I really don't like you, but uh, thank you. You know I, I just it's, if it's just a little bit longer, that, that's I've made progress. But the, the, the concept of sleeping in, chilling out, not being so engaged, can get us into trouble. And when we're not on our game, when we are sleeping in, uh, this, these, this family comes to mind, and uh, uh, we're getting close to Christmas, so I think it's appropriate, but just to watch these guys as they miss the alarm. I don't know. Have you ever had that happen? All of a sudden, you realize you need to be someplace, and all of a sudden, everything just comes undone, and uh, you don't know what's going on. Well, again, as we're looking at this series, we're looking at Samuel. We've been looking at this idea in Judges. Uh, they did whatever was right in their eyes because there was no king. Uh, we look at uh, what Hannah says and what Hannah's going on in her personal life, and there's Samuel. I'm waiting for my, uh, my PowerPoint. It's not working. It's not working. So um, anyway, so if we're waiting, we're waiting, and as Hannah starts to talk about her life, you can catch up with that the last two weeks, we see that uh, uh, in Hannah's uh, praise and Hannah's uh, poem, she points to the idea that uh, we all need a king, we all are longing for someone to lead us, to direct us, someone we can trust we just saw that in a presidential election. We have more elections going. We just hope, and then we find that just the human condition never, it just, it just never uh, comes together, and uh, human beings always will let us down, and even with the Israelites, when they finally uh, got the king that they had hoped for and longed for, King David, some of us know the story, uh, that just doesn't go well for them. So we see that Hannah is not having a child, and it's just desperate times for her, uh, and it's just uh, just really hard. This is a part of her being and well-being as a person, and uh, she's just not having a child, and she just prays and asks and asks. And last week, we saw that she had the joy before she had the answer. So I don't want to set us up that no matter what's going on in your life, if you just pray and do the right things, that all of a sudden you'll get the answer you want. Even Jesus himself, what did he pray in the Garden of Gethsemane the night he was betrayed? What did he pray? If there's another option, basically, I want that option. So Jesus himself prays to the Father, and that uh, he says, not my will, but your will. That's not his will, and, and Jesus gives his life for us. So, so when you think about someone who might have more leverage than you and I to get the prayers they want answered, we even saw Paul a couple weeks ago Uh, you think those people would have the answer that they wanted. That doesn't always work out that way. So don't get set up when you look at Hannah. She wanted this. But the idea is that she did have joy before anything was actually happening. And uh, we can learn a lot about that. And she says that she will give her son. So now I will give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he will worship the Lord there. So there's little Eli once he's weaned. I mean, not Eli, Samuel. Once he's weaned, he's probably two or three. uh, She leaves him uh, with Eli to grow up in the temple because she promised that she would do that. She follows through with that. And here is where we see uh, Hannah just in her just celebration. This is one part of her prayer. She says, the most high will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. And the idea with this is this is pointing towards Jesus, pointing towards the Messiah, and uh, the fact that there's someday going to be this perfect king. Even when we go back to Moses, uh, Moses writes this, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, Moses writes, from among you, From your brothers, it is to him you shall listen, pointing to Jesus someday coming. Uh, David himself writes this in Psalms. The Lord has sworn and it will not change his mind. You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. A lot going on there. Just take my word for it. This is pointing to Christ coming in the future. The Lord is at your right hand. He will crush kings on the day of his wrath. He will judge the nations, heaping up the dead and crushing the rulers of the whole earth. In other words, he will set things right. So we long for that king, the future king, him to come someday. And then we even read in the end book, the last book, the book of Revelation, we read, and on his robe, referring to the Messiah, we serving from uh, the king of kings, the lamb of lambs, and on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, king of kings, Lord of lords. So in the meanwhile, what do we do while we're waiting for, we're seeking for this future king, the one that will satisfy, the one that will sustain us, the one that will bring stability to our world, to us personally, what do we do in the meanwhile? We need to make sure we're not spending too much sleeping time. Too much sleeping, and as we look in Samuel chapter 3, we're going to see that there's a lot of sleeping going on, and we're using that as for code as the idea of not being engaged, so there's a lot of sleeping going on, so we'll just start in verse 1, and I've got a couple uh, different translations here, then we'll jump into the NIV, and I can tell you what page number that is on that little Bible in the the rack there if you want to follow along that way or on the screen. So too much sleeping. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel, remember the word Samuel means God hears me. So meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare and visions were quite uncommon. I think the King James uses the word, the idea that they were precious because they were so uncommon that the Lord would actually speak into someone's life. And so here's setting the, the, the tone of what's going on. Remember, we've had judges, and Eli's the last judge, and Samuel will be a judge eventually, and then we get into kings. But this idea that God really wasn't speaking, it was uncommon, and it was a dry time. And sometimes we can feel that way. The only difference is you and I have God's word. You and I have access to God's word. Completely different story. You and I have the we have it can have it on our phone. We can get an app. We can have a paper copy. uh, We can have a zillion different kinds of translations. Some are really good. Some not so good. Uh, You can figure that out. Uh, But uh, you you and I have access to that. But in in this day, it was just uncommon. Can you imagine trying to follow God without your handy Bible? I mean, how would I even say to oh tomorrow? Uh, When you get up, uh, you know, read your your Bible, read your scripture. Well, I don't have one. That's the way it was back then. Yes, they had the scrolls, but that wasn't access to everyone. So it was very rare. And so we're going to just see everyone's kind of settled into this and is okay with this, and just kind of doing their own thing, going through the motions. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, So that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. We're going to take a look at where that is in just a few moments. But this idea that Eli's eyesight, he's old, he's not seeing clearly, his perception is off. And there really is a a figure going on here that his perception not only of physically seeing was off, but his perception of just seeing the world, seeing uh, things spiritually, seeing uh, how to navigate and follow God all that was dimming and we're going to see even when it comes to his own sons and his sons were not spring chickens himself Eli's uh, in his late 90s at this time and uh, and his sons you know probably are in you know 60 or something 50 maybe but uh, they're not like just starting off in life and we're going to see that Eli just wasn't observant And sometimes you and I, those of us who have been around church world forever, we've grown up in church world, our perception, our eyes, we can dim. Uh, We can, in a sense, be sleeping in all the time. We're not really engaged in what it means to follow Christ and walk with Christ. We've become so accustomed to it that it's kind of just our way of being, but our heart really isn't engaged. We never ask, why do we do what we do? What's our inspiration? What's our motivation? It's just kind of what we do. And there's a part of that that's nice, but then there's another part that means we're just kind of disengaged. We're just sleeping in. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. There's actually a physical lamp in the tabernacle, and it has not gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of the God was. And there's this idea, again, that there's this lamp, and it's starting to go out. But this is also a, a beam of light. It is a flicker of hope that the light has not gone out because these are dark days. And some of us, when we look at our world and look at what's going on and look what's going on in our community and some of the changes that are happening, we go, ooh. It feels like the light of God is going out. But the good news is it hasn't gone out yet. The good news is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ does not go out. It does not hinge on the uh, government, on what's going on in the nation. We as Americans can tie ourselves to that, but we could go to other parts of the world where the government actually stands in the way, actually persecutes Christ followers, and the light has not gone out. We could go to Arab nations where it's just just hard to be a Christ follower. And if you brought some of those folks in or some folks from China or even North Korea and sat them down, they, they would have no connection. Well, if the government does this or allows us to do this, this happens, then the good news, then connecting with people pointing people to christ will happen if it doesn't we're just kind of in hibernation they 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 wouldn't say that because actually in those places the church christ followers is still thriving that in those situations people are actually giving their lives saying i follow christ no matter what you do to me so it's just totally foreign to us but this idea that the light had not gone out these were dark days in the life of israel and we can kind of draw some parallels to that. So here's uh, just some renditions of the temple, I mean, of the tabernacle. This is still in a tent, and you can see the main Holy of Holies is in that area. The, the smoke going up represents God's presence. And if you can remember earlier when Joshua and they're marching through the land, they would all circle around. The tabernacle, they would camp. You can read these, one to the north, one to the south, one to the west. And they would all be with the tabernacle in the center. And the imagery there is that God is the center of their life, of their being, of their uh, functioning. And you can even see that a little bit in some towns, right? You go into a town, and right down in the town, there's a church in the center of town, the hustle and bustle. The idea wasn't just putting them there By accident, it was putting them there because it was representing that God is to be the center of our lives. You can especially see this in New England downtown. There's usually a white little church, congregational church, because that was the meeting house, and it was just the center. Uh, Another picture that's a little more dramatic is like this, and you can see this. And uh, so Samuel, or Eli and Samuel probably were in the outside of the courts. They would not be in the inside of that white uh, fabric around the edge, but they would be very close. And uh, in the Holy of Holies was this tabernacle. You can read about it, and uh, some of us have watched uh, Indiana Jones. Ooh, the Raiders of the Lost Ark. But uh, the idea that this is there and this represents God's presence. And then we'll uh, continue on with our verse four, and uh, it's page 187 in that little Bible in the rack. And again, if you don't have your own personal copy of a paper copy of God's Word, please feel free to take that as a gift from Seneca Community Church, but also I'd encourage you to download uh, version, uh, so you can have it with you wherever your phone is, or like electronic device, so we've got this all set, he's outside, and, and, and again, this is, it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of a little scary place, you got to remember that lots of sacrifices have been going on, you know, all day long, everything's kind of shut down, it's the middle of the night, uh, they're out in the middle, of the, you know, the wind's moving, they're intense, and that kind of a thing, I I don't know. Have you ever slept out in a tent and been a little nervous? You're liars. You all have slept in a tent. You've been a little nervous. Remember one time I was in the White Mountains, and I'm sleeping in this tent up on the side of a mountain, and I hear something moving in the woods? I, it was moving. I was reading. Believe it or not, I was up reading, and all the other tents the kids were sleeping. There was probably 20 of us on this trip, and we're up on the side of this mountain, and I hear this thing, and it, it, it's moving, and it's getting closer. And all of a sudden, I take my little headlamp and just kind of, like, shine it out there. I kind of I don't want to know, and I kind of do want to know. You ever been in that? You're like, it'd eh, be better just say, if it was a bear, just kind of walk by and not know it. And I'm looking, I'm getting really nervous, and my heart's beating a little faster. I'm like, what am I going to do? Where's my trekking pole? Can I, like, stab it or whatever? You know, all this kind of stuff, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, it makes itself known. And it's a bunny rabbit. What a wimp. He just kind of trying to light on him. He kind of looks at me and hops off into the woods. So anyway, this idea of camping, and but in a tent, and you hear noises and all of that kind of thing. And, and all of a sudden we hear this, or, or Samuel hears this. The Lord called, Samuel, Samuel, answered, here I am. And immediately we see him getting up and he runs to uh, Eli and he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. So he went and lied back down. Again, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My, my son Eli said, I did not call you. Go back and lie down. I mean, if you're, if you're, you're, you're uh, Samuel, he's probably 10, 11, maybe 12, and uh, you're hearing your name, and it's you know, a little scary, and it's not a bunny rabbit b- bouncing by your tent, and you're getting up. Uh, it's, it's probably pretty unnerving. And then we read on. Now, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The, Lord of the, the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And at first, when you read this verse, I don't know about you, but it's, it's kind of shocking to me. Here's Samuel. He lives basically in the temple. He lives at church. His, his father, in a sense, is Eli. Yes, uh, Hannah comes and visits him probably once or twice a year. But Eli is basically raising him. He couldn't be any closer to church world, to, to God, in a sense, Yet he did not know the Lord. And that that's a good pause for all of us. Especially those of us who've kind of lived our world around the edges of church, kind of done the things, have gone through all the motions, maybe even been baptized, maybe even, you know, serve in kids' zone, uh, you know, helped usher sometime, you know. Whatever, helped at a church uh, cleanup day, and we're so close to it, yet our heart has never been touched by it. And I can't answer that for you. I can give you some indicators. Uh, How do you live your life? Do you feel God prompting you in your life? For Samuel, hadn't happened yet. So we all have to stop and say, where is our relationship with God? not about going to church it's not about filling a seat but where is our relationship with god has our heart been touched and you know if you look in old testament if you look in jewish tradition you have something called a bar mitzvah it's the age of accountability when someone actually is old enough to say yes uh, i want to own this relationship with god you see it happen around 12 there's no perfect uh age for that but uh, this idea that there's a point where all of us as we're growing up become at a certain age where we can you know say yes to Christ it's not our parents pressuring us it's not the culture that we live in but it's actually owning our decisions so Samuel is just about getting there and uh, but again it's just amazing that he's been all around this and, and doesn't really know the Lord and I've actually met some folks that have gotten into their 40s and 50s and you would have think they were, they were sold-out Christ followers, and they, and they look like sold-out Christ followers. And all of a sudden, at some age, they say, you know, I realized that I really didn't own this myself. I've just said yes to Christ. And I'm like, what? And they're like, yes, it's, it's never been in on the inside. And so occasionally, we need to ask ourselves, where is our relationship with God? Have we really made a decision to follow Christ? You can actually live so close to religion and church world and all that kind of a thing and still not know the Lord. And that is such a tragedy when that takes place. So here's Samuel, his first encounter with God, even though he's been doing all this church stuff. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And then we read. A third time, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli. This is getting kind of funny and frustrating, and said, here I am. You called me. Then Eli realized the Lord was calling the boy. What's really sad about this is it took Eli three times to realize this. He's supposed to be the super Christian, the super God person. And yet he is sleeping in so unengaged that it took three times from finally to say, wait a minute, I think something else is going on. You know, not to pick on Eli too much, but you wonder how long had it had been since God had really spoken to his heart. Question to you and I, those of us who have said yes to Christ and even know him as our personal savior. When was the last time God prompted you? led you to do something, and you said, wow, that is God speaking into my heart? Um, And have you responded positively to it? Uh, Just even this week as I'm preparing, uh, I'm not going to tell you what it was. It wasn't something terrible, terrible, but I I knew God was like prompting me to do something. And I said, no, I don't want to do it. And I didn't do it. Like ooh, that's not good. Your pastor—it's not something major, but it's something. Well, maybe you think it, but anyway. But I just—I just didn't want to. I just didn't want to do it. I was—it was more about being lazy. And uh, you, you know, those things happen. And and I do think God's gracious with us, but I do think there's a time where God finally says, you know, I've been knocking on your door. It's not been the devotional you're reading is so well written. Nothing that, you know, Dave is speaking so eloquently that it touches my heart or something on the radio, but it's actually God. And are you saying yes to him? Are you saying no? So how many times did Eli have to say no to get it out of his rhythm of thinking that God might be prompting him and now prompting Samuel? It took a few times. Uh, it's not to feel guilty about it's just a sad way to live why would we not want to live in relationship with the creator of everything with God Almighty why wouldn't we want to walk with him throughout our day why would we just want to kind of get something every once in a while maybe maybe not and just kind of muddle our way through life when we can be in relationship with him when we can follow his lead. When that lead can not only affect our own life, but affect the lives of those around us. It can spill over and do that. So so Eli tells, next verse, um, Eli, t- my little thing's just not working this morning. Next slide, please. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. If he calls you, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went and laid down in his place. I tell you, I don't know if I if I had been Samuel, I might have gone back to my, you know, bed, pulled my covers up all over my head and said, Oh God, please don't speak to me, don't speak to me, don't speak you know, this is this is you know I don't know about you, I think Andy Stanley talks about this sometime, like this was a hor- horrifying Bible story for him when he'd go to bed, because he'd always wonder, is tonight tonight God's going to speak to me? So, you know, these, some of these Bible stories we tell our kids, he's just laid shaking, I don't want God to speak to me. But anyway, so Samuel went and laid down in his place, then the Lord came and stood there, calling as the other time, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And then we see, and the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do everything, do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about it tingle. And at that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I've spoken against his family from the beginning to the end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God. And he failed to restrain them. And you go, what is going on there? If you look into the back uh, passage, that uh, he, the, the sons were uh, defiling the sacrifices. And also, some of the women that were serving at the temple or in the tabernacle, he, they were sleeping with, not somewhere else, but actually in the tabernacle. And uh, God had spoken to Eli about this a number of times, and Eli had just ignored him. So therefore I swore, and uh, therefore I swore to Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel laid down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. And that makes absolute sense you would not want to go tell Eli what God had told you so he's just just hoping that he can just kind of keep it to himself and not say anything but in verse 16 we read but Eli called him and said Samuel my son Samuel answered here I am what was it he said to you Eli asked Sure, there's a part of Eli going, Why didn't God talk to me? I mean, I'm like the head honcho here, I'm the high priest, and he's going through this this boy. Eli asks, Don't hide it from me. May God deal with you be ever so severely if you hide from me anything he told you. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to seem a little bit harsh. But I, I can tell you a number of times where people will meet with me, and they probably have done it with you too, and, and they want you to kind of size up what's going on in their life, and you might even be able to throw out a couple Bible verses that you know say, see, this is what I think God means, and they go, okay, 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 and then six months later, a year later, they come back with the same question. And you go back and you give them the same answer. And then about the third or fourth time, you're like, wait a minute. (laughs) I've told you this on and on and on again. And, um, you know, you you get tired of giving that same answer. I can remember one time I actually, somebody said, so what should I do? I said, I can't meet with you right now, maybe in a couple days. And they said, well, what should I do? I said, just do what I've been telling you all the other times. I have no more information for you. And they didn't like hearing that. Quite frankly, I wouldn't like hearing that if somebody said that to me. But they're right. So some of us say, why doesn't God speak into my life? Why haven't I heard it? It's because we haven't listened. Eli has said this on and on again. He's He's, he's been told this uh, by God himself. And now he's going to get told by Samuel. Uh, but it's nothing, nothing new for him. All right. Next verse. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all of Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. So we move on to Revelation, which is saying basically the same thing that is being said here, this idea of sleeping in, not being engaged with life. We read in Revelation 3, wake up, take a deep breath. May there, maybe there's life in you yet, but I wouldn't know it by looking at your busy work. Nothing of God's work has been completed. Your condition is desperate. Make yourself stronger before what little strength you have left is completely gone. And find that what you do is not good enough for my God. Your condition is desperate. So when we think about sleeping in, when we think about not engaging, we looked at this a little bit this summer, but we look at it again because it's just naturally coming up. You've got Israel, the nation, they were not awake they were sleeping in they were not engaged with what it meant to have a faith in god and follow a god and so we have to ask ourselves how engaged are we how much is our faith kind of like a side dish uh, you know we're going to all be eating uh, great things this week and uh, earlier on i've learned that i only eat the things i really like that i only get at thanksgiving time so i forgo the bread and the rolls cuz i can never roll in I like to focus in on the stuffing. I like to focus in on the butternut squash with about a stick of butter on each uh, little plate. And, and this, this, my family doesn't like this. This is probably too much information. I love the creamed onions. But they do not love me. So anyway. <laughs> but I love them. So I don't, you know, I'm not a big turkey guy. So I, I pick, I also like, I don't know, do your family do a uh, celery with cream cheese with olives in it? that weird people are like what is that I don't know what that is mom what did you do to me I you know we get celery with cream cheese mixed in with all of stuck in there and I, I could eat that till you know forever but anyway so you know this this idea of uh you know not having a side dish some of us have said yes to Christ and it's just on the outside of our dish it's not the center of our dish you saw those images, the, the tabernacle was in the center of life. And so are we just kind of like sleeping through? Are we really, really engaged? And we can see there was a number of things going on in 1 um, Samuel 2, 12 through 36. We'll see these three points, uh, that they were sleeping while working. The idea is that they weren't engaged. Even the high priest, Eli's son, they they were so close, but so far. It's even even more offensive that they were that close and so far. It, It probably on some level, and sometimes we make God to have our kind of personality, but on some level, it's probably very offensive to God that you and I have more Christian resources than have ever been on the planet. You have more accesses to more books. I've, I've got all my books on my Kindle. I've got all these materials. I'm so close. I got all this information. But when it comes to transformation. It's not happening too much. It was offensive to God. That Eli's sons were right in the middle of it. But it wasn't touching their heart. And even Eli, who at some time had probably touched his heart, was just going through the motions and he wouldn't say no to his grown kids. And that just, that just, uh, that was just so offensive. And it wasn't that God all of a sudden get upset and just throws the switch. He had warned Eli again and again, he couldn't stand the hypocrisy. The people couldn't understand the hypocrisy. We're going to see later on when Eli is getting really ready to retire and the people come to him and say, we want a king because your kids just are not up for the task of being the judge. That's why we want a king. Now, there's other things going on there too, but uh, they were, again, we're just sleeping while working. So while you and I are mixed into church life, Are we really sleeping while working? Are are we engaged? Uh, There's also this idea of sleeping while we're worshiping. I mean, we just sang some really powerful songs. Uh, If you really digest what you just sung and own what you sung, are those ideas being integrated into your life? Um, And when they're not... I think it's just like offensive. You've got got all the toys, in a sense, as Christians in the United States, but you don't use them. You don't engage with them. They're not on the inside. And then obviously, this is kind of weird, they were sleeping with others, these sons, right in the tabernacle. And you go, what is the big deal about that? The sanctity of marriage. God wanted marriage to be something special special, something between a man and a woman once, and to have that, he wanted it to be that way, it wasn't to hurt you, it wasn't to say, oh no, you, you, you can't have multiple partners and all, it was because he knew that when you and I bond to one person, one woman, one man, and, and, and that love, even though there's some ups and downs, lasts a lifetime, it is an awesome thing thing he wants that for us he's not trying to take something from us in the end we're all in different places there's forgiveness there's redemption but uh it just it just you know they just they just weren't getting this and then there's some other verses you know matthew 519 you can look at that later on but it's the idea jesus is really simple when he has a has a marrow intimacy ethic he spells it out not in 20 pages just Couple verses there, you can read that. Also, there's the idea when it comes to our lives and our spiritual life, and uh, the idea of sleeping intimacy with other people, we need to ask ourselves uh, who's influencing us in our life. Um, It doesn't mean that we don't have friends that don't know Christ and aren't religious or whatever you want to say, don't have faith, but it does mean. Who is shaping your thinking and your understanding? That's why it's so important to be a part of a community group. And that just is starting to skim the surface. You and I need people in our lives that uh, are following Christ, that are walking with Christ, so they can help shape us as we shape them. Don't become partners with those who reject God. How can you make a partnership out of right and wrong? That's not a partnership. That's war is light best friends with dark. And the idea is that you and I should have a couple. There's not going to be 20 of these people, but we ought to have a couple people that we're close with that point us in the direction of following Christ, that are rowing in that direction. And when we don't, it's just hard. You know, Who was Eli's sons hanging out with when they weren't working at the tabernacle? I don't know. Were they hanging out with people, with their peers, like, hey, you know, what you're doing, that, that's not cool. Or were they just, or who were they hanging out with? So the idea, again, of, of who are we connected with. So just a couple things really quickly. You can be very familiar with God, but not be family. And what do I mean by that? The imagery in the New Testament is when you and I say yes to Christ, We are adopted into God's family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. So you and I can be very familiar with God. We can know all the terminology, all the whatever, but never really have said yes to Christ. We have to ask ourselves, or we act like it's not family. Familiarity eventually breeds contempt. You can know about him, but not know him. So, so important. I'm just going to go on and hit the bullets, and we're just going to move through this. Uh, You can hear God, but not recognize that it's God. Some of us can have so much noise in our life, so many things coming at us that we never shut down and block out all those other voices and get before God. John 10, 27 says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. You, it shouldn't be always a mystery to what God is saying, speaking into your life. You can hear God, but not recognize that it is God. Samuel's in that place, but that will change. I hope you're not in that place. I don't want to be in that place. I don't want to, when I drift into that place, I want to very quickly get back to where I hear God and recognize that it is God. And not work things around to get my own way i've had people come into my office and and it is clearly not god's voice when someone opens their mouth and says well i know god wants me to be happy i go oh here it comes here it comes i think god wants you to be holy separate unto him and then if you're happy fantastic one of the changes we've seen in parenting i could have been guilty of this his parents want their kids to be happy rather than holy. Uh, I went to a youth seminar. A guy was like 100 years old, and he said, we were asking him, so what's changed? And he's like, well, what's changed? When I grew up, my parents wanted me to be good. And then if we happen to have some happiness along the way, fine. Today's parents directly want their kids to be happy. And then if the other stuff comes together, that's fine. Those two things have changed our kids, changed the way we raise kids. Kids have not changed. Parenting has changed. I'll save that for another time. Someone close to us to, can help us to learn, to recognize, and respond to God. I already talked about this. Do you have those people that will say, no. I think God is saying this, not saying this. And you actually have confidence that their motives are pure and all of that. I have, I have a couple friends like that. I have one friend that's been my close friend since five years old, Dave Lobley. And I know when, he, when I paint a situation for him, there's no guile. There's no manipulation. He sees it, and I can feel confident that he can help me make my decisions I, I feel good that I could say this about him. He could actually say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. That statement sounds pretty arrogant at first. But could you say that? Not to put yourself down. Are you moving in that direction where eventually you could say to others, follow me. I'm, I'm not perfect, but follow my example as I follow Christ. Could you say that as a parent? Could you say that as an aunt and uncle? Could you say that as a friend? Could you say that as a... Just a person that's, uh, you know, connected in other people's lives. Could you say it with any, again, not arrogance, not self-righteousness, but you could say, you know, I kind of know the ropes of this. I definitely have friends in my life who know mechanical things, right? You know, how to fix something, how to move dirt and do all this stuff, fix my lawnmower, you know, what kind of oil. And they can they can say, absolutely, follow my example as I follow Lawnmower maintenance. And I go, yes, I have output We should be able to do that with our faith. We should be, if we can't, we should be moving in that direction. That should be our hope. That should be where we're going. Next one says, I know I'm not, you know, asking you to do anything I'm not already doing. As a pastor, that's the greatest fear that I present truth and ideas and concepts that I am not engaged with myself. That is hypocrisy. I'm not saying I get it all together, but I ought at least be moving in that direction. And you as a Christ follower, you know, we're all following Christ together. There's not a pecking order. Uh, you, know, you know, can you say do this and are you living that out in your own life? And can you actually see where the scenario is a little different? but the heart's a little different. I can't remember if I said this last Sunday or if it was in small group. The one time when I was in the high school, I was really down on this kid who was next to my locker and he was really arrogant and self-serving and, and just all into himself and he was just off the rails and I, just, I, I, I actually kind of hated him. Then I realized at church with the youth group I was a part of, it was 20 kids or whatever, I was that same kid. It was all about me, I was more polite, my language was better, but that was me. I wanted the same thing, and I'm like, oh, no, I'm mad at this guy, and I am this guy. Do you have eyes? to? We, are you actually willing to look at your life and ask those questions? Not easy questions. Are you willing to do that? Now, as a Christ follower, as a part of this church, the way we say our kind of like our marching orders is this. We're all about making a difference in people's lives by leading them into a growing relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You can't lead anybody into a place that you're not going yourself. What did Jesus do? Jesus served. He didn't say serve and just watch them. He demonstrates it. So as a church, we want to lead people into this growing relationship. We want people to get a glimpse of that, understand that. But when you and I aren't living, it doesn't mean we're perfect, but we're not moving in that direction. It, it just, it blocks everything. That's one reason, I, you know, I feel like, you know, we go, oh, I wish things were like 20 or 30 years ago. You know, when, when people respected the church and, and Christians had more sway. Well, well, when we had it, we didn't use it. Shame on us. We had all the marbles. We had them all. And we let them fall through our fingers. We said one thing, did another thing. Can we lead people to where we actually are? We talk about loving God, loving others, loving our church. The idea of loving our church is that our church isn't perfect, but we're engaged in it. We care for it. We love it. We give to it uh, of our time our finances, our talents, our abilities, all of that. Lastly, we need to be aware and listen with humility, then follow what God says to you. And that's the attitude. Here I am, God. I'm your, sir, um, your servant. Awareness, eyes, engagement, listening. Are you really listening with humility? And then actually do what he says to do without hesitation. It was this week, I can't get into all the details, where I did feel him leading me to do something. It wasn't major. It was just stop off. I had someone whose heart was was, uh, on my heart, and I'm praying for an opportunity, and I'm driving by a place, and I see the person's car. I stop and talk with him. And uh, you know maybe I'm making too much of it, but it was a God-ordained moment. He shared more with me in that 20 minutes than I had known anything about him in the past. Helped me understand him. Helped me to be try to be caring for him. He's in a tough place. But uh, again, uh, listening to God and responding to God. Just it was just a little thing, and I could have missed it if I would driven by his car, kept going. And then all of a sudden, five minutes later, oh, no, that was an opportunity to come back. His car probably wouldn't have been there. He was on his way out. Because a lot of us are like what it says in Isaiah. He said, go and tell the people, listen hard, but you aren't going to get it. Look hard, but you won't catch on. Make these people blockheads with fingers in their ears and blindfolds on their eyes so they won't see a thing, won't hear a word, So they won't have a clue about what's going on. And yes, so they won't turn around and be made whole. It's definitely speaking to people that don't know Christ. But I think there's a lot of truth in there for people that do know Christ. A lot of us are just on the edge of being whole. But we don't listen. We don't listen with humility. So the bottom line for today is this. Not listening to God's little prompts creates big problems. Not listening to God's little prompts creates big problems. Very simple, but very deep. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just uh, thank you for today. We thank you for the life of Samuel. We thank you for the example you give us. You don't clean up the Bible and make Eli look perfect with his sons, but you're accurate, you're honest. You're transparent, giving us much to learn. I pray that each one of us would leave this place ready to listen, even to those little prompts. We ask all of this in Jesus' wonderful name.